Today, Rinpoche explained how the excellent life that we have and all of the resources that we have have to be utilized for the practice of Dharma so that our life doesn't become like a banana tree that is only lost after its one fruit. We want to be like a mango tree that continuously produces fruits until our liberation. And we can do so with this basis if we use it for Dharma practice. The Nachungago said the rooms. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, Sumba Sum, Rasum. Okay. As much as we can turn that down. Okay. Turn to the Rangi Chan. 
Dujadan Dawa Ruba Okay, so if everybody wants to turn in the um, English Lamrim Chemo uh, to page one oh three, the Tibetan were on page three fifty seven. Um, and it says how to train after taking the vows. So there are three categories. So we're in number three. Um, of the categories. Um, so there are going to be categories within category number three. So there are three categories in number three. First, what the precepts are based upon. Second, how all the precepts are included in the six perfections. And third, the process of learning the perfections. So the first category, uh, what the precepts are based upon. Uh, Rinpoche just basically read and gave very little commentary on uh, the words, and I'll add it in where applicable. Uh, there are limitless clear categorizations, but if you arrange the bodhisattva precepts by type, you can include them all within the six perfections. The six perfections are thus the great condensation of all of the key points of the bodhisattva path. Uh, so there are many different ways to categorize uh, the, the bodhisattva path. You can have many different divisions and ways of explaining it. But if we look at all of them and compare it to the six perfections, we find that the explanation of the six perfections is not only all-inclusive and contains all of the key points, uh, but it's, it's the most um, uh, it, it's easy to work with, if you will, or the, 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 mo the most yeah, the, the easiest to work with. Um, so it, and it says the six perfections are thus the great condensation of all of the key points of the bodhisattva path. Um, so all of the key points are, it's important. Um, so it's not, does not leave out any. So all of them can, are subsumed under this, this heading. Uh, and it says the four ways to gather disciples. So this is uh, an example, for instance, um, of something. So it says, uh, now that the, these four, Rinpoche explained, they're in the Tibetan text. Uh, they're not in the Tibetan text, but whoever translated it just added in the parentheses, um, and Rinpoche did, just added that as well. Um, so I'm just letting everyone know that what's in the parentheses here is not in the Tibetan, and then Rinpoche's commentary is what's in the parentheses. So, um, so Rinpoche listed what the four ways to gather disciples are. So generosity is first, pleasant speech second, working at the aims third, and consistency of behavior is fourth. Uh, it says are, in, are included, the four ways to gather disciples are included, also included within the six perfections as follows. Uh, so here's going to be an example of something which uh, they will show how, Lama Tsongkhapa will show how um, uh, these four ways to gather disciples are are under the umbrella, um, that's a good way to say it, uh, of the six perfections. It says, um, generosity is included is obvious. Um, so the first of the six perfections is generosity. First of all, the ways of gathering disciples is generosity. So Lama Tsongkhapa says it's obvious, it's the same thing. Um, so not the same, it's the same word, so it's obvious what, that it, it connects. Um, I, so as a, I, translators know, it, I didn't mean to say it's the same thing, because um, it's not necessarily. Um, pleasant speech, uh, um, 
pleasant speech is giving instructions to disciples, taking the six perfections as the point of departure. So um, speaking pleasantly to students about the six perfections. Working at aims is establishing others uh, in the aims of these instructions. So establishing others in the, the aims of the six perfections or the, um, I, the aspirations that the six perfections have to those perfections, the aspire to those perfections. Working at it, um, aims, so we just went over that. Um, and consistency of behavior is practicing just as the disciple does. So if you are going to give advice and teach uh, these uh, perfections uh, to a student and say, take on these behaviors and, and uh, discard those behaviors, then you also have to be following those practices. So uh, um, of the six perfections. So it's saying practicing the six perfections as you are instructing your disciple to do so. Um, Disa. Oggi Shindu non sta a giù se mi la posso dire, se la posso dire, se la posso dire, se la posso dire, dire, ダスナチュセナシャチュセンラソバテレソナチュセレストニトビシラワトトレイシソセウェジロタトニソナチュゲラジテレジャブカリムグレセナソナチュゲトゾゴトンドヨンアレスソナチュチュドジュコニエナネ
the collection of exalted wisdom is referring to the practices of wisdom. These collections produce certain bodies of the Buddha. So the collection of merit is responsible for the formation of the form body of the Buddha, which, if we categorize it, is the enjoyment body, the Sambhokaya, and the emanation body, uh, the Nirmanakaya. So the Robokaya is the form body, that's the main heading, and Sambhokaya and Nirmanakaya are the two categories, enjoyment body and emanation body. So these are created by the collection of merit, um, which is the practice of bodhicitta. The next, the collection of exalted wisdom, uh, is responsible for the creation of the Dharma body. Uh, the Dharma body refers, to, or it's also called the truth body in English. Um, so uh, the truth body is divided into two categories, um, the uh, wisdom truth body and the nature body, or the, the wisdom body and the nature body. Uh, so these are the um, uh, two categories under the truth body. And the truth body uh, is created by the collection of wisdom. So the collection of merit creates the form body, the collection of wisdom uh, creates the truth body. Uh, and so these are formed in dependence upon uh, the, the various practices that are subsumed underneath it. So the collection of merit practices create the collection of merit. The collection of wisdom practice, practices create the collection of wisdom, in which then the merit create form body, the um, wisdom creates the truth body. Uh, so this is how um, we would categorize uh, the bodies of the Buddha uh, according to form body, which are enjoyment and emanation, according to truth body, which are nature body and uh, um, um, uh, wisdom body. Now, the wisdom body is referring to the omniscience. <coughs> the, the nature body is referring to cessation of the Buddha. Um, so these are what all of the Buddha, bodies of the Buddha r are, how they're created, and, and, and what, they, what they do. So they're the emanation body, enjoyment body, the nature body, and the um, wisdom body. Uh, so wisdom body, omniscience, <coughs> nature uh, body being cessation, uh, and then the two forms, enjoyment body and, and, and emanation. Dīsun, kāngā lāsun. Uh, so when we look at the um, text, our book, uh, when we have the refuge prayer, I take refuge until I'm enlightened uh, in the, the jantro. Um, so, let me need Ale, Ale. Okay. So we find uh, at the in our prayer book and uh, at the beginning of of the um, I'm just trying to find it at the beginning of the um, uh, the the Guru Yoga 
um, text, we find this, um, uh, here it is, by the power of the truth of the three jewels, the power of the inspiration of all of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, the power of the great might of the completed two collections, and the power of the intrinsically pure and inconceivably inconceivable sphere of reality, may these offerings become suchness. So in, in this we find uh, the power of uh, the great might uh, uh, I'm just making sure it's Sanjay Chanju. Yep, that's it. Might of the completed two collections. So the power of the great might of the completed two collections. Uh, so we find in our prayer book those two collections uh, being referenced and those two collections are what we're talking about here in this context. Uh, so Rinpoche was just showing another place where the two collections are referenced, and now we know what those two collections are. Okay. Lesser. <laughs> Shantan um, <clears throat> now, now we're looking at the three trainings. Uh, so again, the Tibetan text doesn't have what's in the parentheses. So Rinpoche explains that. Um, so um, we know it because it's written in the parentheses, but it would require a Tibetan having a teacher explaining what these trainings are referring to. Um, so the, the three trainings ethical discipline, meditative concentration, and wisdom. So we call them the three higher trainings. Now, this is something that we can say is in common, or we have in common with other Buddhist traditions. So um, other Buddhist traditions have the, the training in ethical discipline, the training in meditative concentration, uh, and the, the training uh, in wisdom. Uh, so, um, but the way that we differentiate the trainings that we're speaking about and these trainings is by calling them the highest higher trainings. Um, so I'm just I'm trying to quickly find exactly where the word is to see if it says three higher trainings. It probably does 
in the Tibetan. Here it just says three trainings. Um, it probably says three higher trainings. Um, I don't want to say that for sure because I, I got to find it really quickly and I don't think I have time. Um, but uh, the Tibetan Buddhists add another higher to make it highest higher training. Now what's the reason for this highest higher training? Uh, what differentiates these trainings from non-Buddhist trainings? Uh, so the training in ethical discipline um, is training in ethical discipline, but it is coupled with renunciation, the desire to definitely emerge from cyclic existence. So these ethics have, are saturated with this renunciation. So they're eth it's sometimes they're referred to the ethics of renunciation, or renunciation ethics, um, meaning that the ethical behavior is done with the basis of this desire to emerge. Um, so these ethics are renounced, renounced ethics. Uh, so you can translate it a lot of different ways, but a renounced ethics, ethics that have renounced, uh, someone who has renounced. Um, so as a translator's note, if you look at uh, the individual liberation vow, if you look at the Sanskrit, that means that basically one has a desire to emerge. You have renunciation, so you're taking this vow. You've, d you've decided to emerge, to become liberated, so you're taking this vow. So um, anyway, just as a translator's note, but the Rinpoche explained about the renunciation being saturated in the ethics. So meditative concentration. Rinpoche, you think the Nejong Dixon? Okay, so, and then uh, the concentration, if we're looking at highest higher training, we can, we can say, in this case, uh, the desire to definitely emerge. Um, uh, so we could say um, renunciation. So the object of observation is a uh, single-pointed uh, desire to emerge. Um, so that um, uh, is an example of a highest higher training that is different in the case of the Buddhist than non-Buddhist. Um, and not for who's better, just as a translator's note, it's not a what's better, it's why the wording is, is such, what, why the words are used highest higher. Um, and then because there's an addition to each of these, it's in addition to, there's something with the wisdom, there's something with the concentration, there's something with the, the ethics. Uh, and then last is wisdom, and that's the wisdom realizing emptiness. And the wisdom realizing emptiness is something uh, that we find is separate, is something different than uh, the uh, non-Buddhist tradition. So uh, when we say higher trainings, we can say that non-Buddhists have higher trainings, but highest higher trainings have these further qualifications that we don't find in non-Buddhist tradition. あの、ちょっと時ルーテンバ、天元寺ポンバテンバ、ね、白ハトンのでし、ちょんじゃてんばす。ね、ルーテ、やぶじ、ポンバテ、タンバヨナ、ちょんじゃやぶよまいな、死
to uh, if we use them in terms of um, wishing to accomplish liberation or Buddhahood. Uh, so utilizing these higher trainings to accomplish Buddhahood. Um, how does this work? They all depend on each other, and Buddhahood depends on them all. Uh, just so that the comparison is made to cutting down a tree. Uh, so if one wishes to accomplish the task of cutting down a tree, uh, you need various things in order to make that happen. Uh, so first off, uh, in order to cut down a tree, you need a stable body. You need a body that's stable uh, as a person that uh, serve as a basis for cutting down a tree. Uh, so this is compared to the highest higher training in ethical discipline. Uh, ethical discipline being this basis that's needed in order to attain Buddhahood. The next is the highest higher training in meditative concentration. Um, if you wish to cut down a tree, you not only need the stable basis, but you need an, a good arm, good strong arm, uh, that can, can do this cutting. Um, so this is compared, uh, the strong arm that's required to cut down a tree is compared to the highest higher training in concentration that is required in order to uh, become a Buddha. And then lastly, with just a basis and an arm, you can't chop down a tree. Uh, it's necessary to have some kind of a saw or some kind of a blade. Um, and then if this is compared to the highest higher training in wisdom. So if you have a stable body basis and a good arm and a good saw, you can cut down a tree. If you have a stable ethics, concentration, and wisdom, you can become a Buddha. Uh, so this example is made to clarify and make you understand uh, how these depend upon each other and are necessary to all be there in order to create the goal of Buddhahood. <laughs> Shindu 
Okay, um, so now, and I, d- I did look up, the word that we normally have for higher training is there. Um, so uh, you, could, you could translate it as three trainings, but the, the word that we always say, higher training, is the word that's in the Tibetan. Um, and when you hear the highest higher, it's two words put together that are the same. Um, so I think it's important just to clarif- make it clear when we're translating. So I went back and I found it. Um, so now we get into category number two, how all precepts are included within the six perfections. Um, so in the, it says this has two different parts. Um, uh, let me just uh, make sure. Did I finish reading this and so forth? Uh, let me just read this last paragraph and make sure I, if I did, I did. Rimche read it a couple times. Although it is true that the entire Bodhisattva path is also subsumed under other condensations, such as the two collections, the three trainings, uh, and so forth, these are not able to produce the understanding that the six perfections do, so the six perfections are the best inclusive set. Uh, so, uh, although other places have all of this information, uh, the six perfections are the easiest to work with uh, so we can say that that's the best all-inclusive set if we're looking for the easiest summary to work with in practice. Um, so, and, uh, number two, all precepts are included in the six perfections. So this has two parts, a discussion of the main topic, the fixed number of perfections, uh, and an ancillary discussion of the fixed order of the perfections. Um, so. The first category, a discussion of the main topic, a fixed number of perfections, means that there's a specific number of perfections. There's not more or less. Um, So here is the establishment of this. Um, uh, So it says the Bhagavan, uh, so this is the Buddha, uh, formulated, uh, um, uh, formulated a bare outline of the six perfections. And the holy regent, Maitreya, produced certain knowledge uh, of these, uh, certain knowledge of these by explicating in order, in accord with the Buddha's intended meaning, the key points of rationale for formulating the perfections in that fashion. These explanations show that there is a fixed number of perfections. When you are convinced of this and astonished by it, you will understand the practice of the six perfections as a supreme instruction. So obtain such conviction. Dikson uh, Rimache. So, um, so when we say um drang epa, it's referring to there are fixed uh fixed uh divisions. There's a fixed order. Um, so when we look at um, other topics, for instance, uh, any topic that we have, we have various definitions, and that's a defini- definiendum of the definition. Sorry. And then there 
are various divisions and so forth of that. So for instance, uh, the subject object of comprehension or object of knowledge, I think is ob actually object of knowledge. Uh, so that subject object of knowledge uh, has two categories, permanent and impermanent phenomena. Uh, so there aren't more or less, there's impermanent and permanent phenomena that categorically fa fall under object of knowledge. Uh, so it's similar here when we say that um, there are six perfections. Um, when we say um, what is the definition of perfection, we would give a definition and then we would say how many divisions of it. We would say uh, there are six. Um, uh, so just like there would be a, a definition, I think it's that observed by valid cognition, um, I believe is the uh, definition of object of uh, of of knowledge. It's something along those lines. I have it here, but it, I think the page fell out, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so object of knowledge uh, um, is um, something that is an object of awareness, uh, suitable to be an object of awareness. Um, yeah, object, that which is an object of awareness, I, I think is, is actually it's either that which is an object of an awareness or that which is established by valid cognition. Both of those things are both those things I just said are synonymous anyway, um, because they fall within all these different categories of definitions that are synonymous. I'm just not remembering which links with which. I um, so I apologize. But uh, so it's similar to that. In different presentations, you have a definition of something, and then you have how many divisions of it are there, and then it's established that there are this many divisions and this is the definition. The same point here. We're explaining what perfection means and we're saying there are six divisions of it. There aren't seven, there aren't, there aren't five. Um, so that's the meaning of that. Digsung uh, Rinpoche. So, so when we, we look at consciousness, for instance, uh, we can say that there is physical uh, consciousness and mental consciousness and there are two categories. Uh, so here's my pages. Uh, so it's similar to that. Um, uh, suitable to be taken as an object of awareness. Uh, so yeah, we had it before. So that's the definition of object of knowledge. Uh, so uh, so when very similar to um, consciousness, having physical consciousness and, and mental consciousness, or sense consciousness <coughs> and mental consciousness. Um, there's divisions of those as well. There aren't more, there aren't less. <coughs> mental and there's sense. Decent. Less so. So when we look at the various <coughs> categories that we just mentioned, for instance, uh, we look at the categories of physical um, consciousness or sense consciousness. It's eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, and tactile consciousness. All of these would fall under sense consciousness or physical <coughs> consciousness. And then the sixth, which is mental consciousness, uh, would be the one that would be mental. Uh, so we have sense and mental. The sixth consciousness being mental consciousness would be the mental category. The other five would be the sense consciousness. Digsung Rinpoche. Shindu 
why do we say uh, um, high? Uh, so high status is referring to rebirth into the higher realms of the the gods and humans and so forth. So why do we call that high status? Um, we call that high status um, because it's above the lower realm. So it's higher, uh, above or higher than those realms that are low. Um, so that, um, so high status meaning rebirth into the gods and humans realms uh, requires um, various practices in order to make that happen. So um, just having the rebirth itself without any of the um, factors within the rebirth um, isn't enough. Um, so it, we find in Nagarjuna's um, Precious Garland uh, where it speaks of the cause and effect relationship um, between these uh, various actions um, and, and how uh, through various actions uh, um, we create the various results within the higher realms of cyclic existence. Um, so, uh, I don't know why I put it up there. Oh, that's the beginning. Uh, so, for instance, so in the, um, doesn't really matter, I have it. So in the, the Precious Garland, it says, from get, from, gener from generosity comes the enjoyments. Uh, from, from ethics comes happiness. From patience, beauty. From effort, charisma or presence. And from concentration, peace of mind, and through wisdom one will be free. Uh, so here, if one is born in the higher realms of cyclic existence um, uh, as a, a human uh, or God, first of all, um, one gets that through ethics. So ethical behavior, so in Nagarjuna's quote where it says, um, through generosity, uh, comes the enjoyments through ethics, happiness. Happiness here is referring to higher realms, liberation, etc. So the higher realms of cyclic existence depend upon, as their main basis, ethical discipline. They depend on other things, but the main basis, according to Nagarjuna's quote, uh, is ethical discipline. Uh, so, um, but when you are um, in the realm, um, you want to have various things. You want to have the enjoyments and wonderful drink and wonderful food and so forth. Um, and that is created by previous generosity, uh, according to Nagarjuna. Um, so uh, when you're in that higher realm, uh, if you wish to uh, have beauty uh, and, and have others look upon you, um, with respect because of that, um, then this is from a previous practice of patience. Uh, and then the next, uh, if within that higher realm, it's necessary to have kind of a presence, a charisma about you, that uh, a presence when you walk into a room. That's how it's been explained. The word has been explained, like a, a, a presence when you walk into a room that clearly somebody of importance has arrived. That kind of presence is what this word in Tibetan that we use charisma for is referring to. 
um, pre this presence. Um, and that comes from effort. And uh, concentration uh, creates this peace of mind. Uh, and then it says that uh, wisdom creates this freedom or an ability to be free. Um, and that's because through wisdom, one is able to get rid of the afflictive obstructions and the obstructions to omniscience. Uh, so that is how one would become free. One would become free through, uh, freedom comes from getting rid of what keeps you not free. Um, so what keeps us from being free, what keeps us not free, uh, literally not free, is the afflictive obstructions and the obstructions to omniscience. And wisdom gets rid of those. Um, so uh, this is how uh, the six perfections uh, create various qualities, not only create the basis of the higher realms, but create the qualities within it um, up to the most excellent level. Okay, Rameshing, it's not a Kanga so, when we speak of the higher realms, uh, is this real or not? Um, so, we can see humans, for sure. When we look around, we see humans, so we can establish with our eyes that there is a higher realm or that there is this realm of humans. Um, and then, uh, are there gods or not? This is where we have doubts that occur, um, because how do we know? We can't see them, uh, that they exist. And, and one sign or something that occurs that we can look to, uh, to understand that, that the possibility exists, uh, is the Nejong Oracle, uh, where we don't actually see the God in, uh, in his full splendor or her full splendor, uh, but the deity enters a human who then speaks as the God. Um, so this is the Nejong Oracle. This is the oracle, of, as the translators note, of the Dalai Lama. The same oracle that, uh, well, the same God, I'm not sure, but I don't think it's the same person, but the same God system that wrote the map for the Dalai Lama to get out of Tibet. Um, so uh, there is some history and significance there, proof of some knowledge. Um, so just as a note, it's not just what they see, it's the information they receive has quality, as quality information that's different than they had before. So just as a note, it's not just this blind faith because somebody acts strange all of a sudden. They get information that seems to be accurate that the monk didn't previously know. Uh, so just as a note, uh, so here is a sign perhaps that um, it's true because we do see the ritual and the takeover of the Nejong God in the oracle. Okay, Dixon. <laughs> 
So if you think about this, then perhaps uh, this helps you gain faith um, and towards the towards the fact that yes, there are these beings, there are gods. Um, uh, so Rimshi is saying it's a tool. Decent. So we have to wonder uh, what makes someone wealthy? Uh, why is someone wealthy and others not? Uh, so according to Buddhism, uh, we say that wealth are the enjoyments we translate it as, or wealth, riches, uh, it's translated all those ways, um, are created by generosity. Previous generosity is what creates it. Um, and then when we say uh, what creates this human basis, the fact that we're a human and not an animal, uh, we would say it's from ethics. Um, so. Uh, this is what we would say as Buddhists, but what would a scientist say? It would be interesting to ask a scientist, why are some people rich? Why are people people uh, instead of something else? Uh, so uh, this would be an interesting discussion to have with the scientific community. Um, and this is difficult uh, to gain faith in. Uh, when we look at the various categories of phenomena, we can divide everything into three. Uh, we say there's manifest phenomena, there's hidden phenomena, uh, and then there's extremely hidden phenomena, or very hidden phenomena. Um, so why doesn't the fact that there is this higher realm uh, um, fall into the category of manifest phenomena. It's because we can't just comprehend it through valid cognition. We don't see it with our eyes. We can't, we can't just through direct valid cognition, I'm sorry, direct valid cognition apprehend it. Um, why isn't it hidden phenomena? Hidden phenomena is phenomena that we can establish through relying on a correct sign. Uh, so we can use various signs, put them together, and then establish a truth. Uh, so we can't do that with this other realm. Uh, so what do we rely upon? We have to rely upon inference th through faith, or inference, um, I think they say through the renown, but I, I think it's really just uh, inference through faith, or inference through belief. Um, and you would say, that you are basing the belief on the fact that Buddha Shakyamuni asserted that there was such a place. Now, this isn't blindly, this is based on establishing hidden phenomena with correct signs and saying that if all of this other is correct, then that 
you can establish that this should be true. It's a kind of faith that only arises through ripping apart everything else that can be established as correct with correct signs and reasoning, um, not necessarily by seeing it, by using signs and reasoning and logic um, and saying that all of that other stuff pans out, so this should too. Uh, so that's what inference through belief refers to. Um, I added a few things in just to explain inference through belief, uh, but Rimache explained um, most of that. I am the other Swanji Jason Kujula, Kanji Tutun Jesu, but the Tombani Dente, the Nukona Ishishas, Swanji Jason Kujula, the Shindu in the Vitamar, Shindu in the Vitamar, and the Shigamaduna, and the Tamatombani Dengwaris, Pomonga, but the Raja, Raja Tomanova, and the Jusu Tony Dene, Tony Shesasuna, and Tele Echene, Echene Tunuris. Uh, so, how do we arrive at this uh, inference through belief? Uh, Arya Davis' 400 verses gives us a, a way to do that. Uh, it says, Whoever doubts what the Buddha said about which, that which is hidden, uh, we would say extremely hidden, um, in the case the way we're translating, very hidden, um, should rely on emptiness and gain conviction in him alone. Uh, so what this refers to is that um, the statement in the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge that says, um, seeing the five skandhas to be empty of nature. Uh, so the Buddha establishes that all the aggregates are empty. Um, so that you come to understand through using signs and reasoning and logic. It's not something manifest, you just quick understand by seeing it. Um, you, you know, everyone knows what I mean. You, understand, you don't just understand by seeing it like you would a color um, until you have understood it and then later you can actually apprehend it. But initially, no. Um, so. Initially, you use signs and reasoning to understand what emptiness says. So once you establish that the Buddha is correct in this way that reality operates, this very subtle thing that can be proven through logic, that the Buddha is correct about this, then you gain this conviction in Buddha because of the logic that you've proven to your, the use of logic, you've proven these other things to yourself, so this conviction isn't based on blind faith. This conviction is based on everything else that's been proven correct. And you say, that must be true as well, because he alone has taught this, he alone has taught that, or she, depending on if it's Tara or some of the other female deities, tantras, um, she alone or he alone has taught this. Um, so when we find that, um, we say that the Buddha's teaching, um, so any of those can, any of those deities are giving the Buddha's teaching. If it's the Buddha's teaching, it's the Buddha's teaching. Um, so um, we say we can rely on what is said because all of this other information pans out. Digsung Rameche. Well, 
So in the, whenever I'm quoting these without the text, I'm just making the best I can um, with it. But in the Pramanavartika Karika, the Dharmakirti's commentary on the compendium of valid cognition, uh, commentary on Dignaga's text, um, we find a quote that says, um, you solely expressed the Four Noble Truths where others were unable to do so or uh, where others did not elucidate that. No one else has elucidated this. You alone expressed the Four Noble Truths. No one else has elucidated these. Um, so here uh, is another um, point that's made by Dharmakirti uh, to show the magnificence of what uh, Buddha has taught. Um, and it says that when uh, you alone have uh, been able to present these Four Noble Truths, therefore uh, have faith in other pronouncements or something ar around this. So therefore one should have faith in other, other pronouncements. Uh, something to that effect. Decent. Okay, so uh, if you'd like a short break, we can take one uh, now, and then uh, uh, maybe just a short couple minutes, and then we'll be right back. Did you actually watch this video on YouTube? Okay. Action. Action. What are the... Tan de la tuya, what are the tuya, what are the tuya, what are the tuya, Tambo then <laughs> Then Okay, so the first, so we're back uh, under the category, a discussion of the main topic, the fixed number of perfections. Under the first category, the fixed number of perfections based on high status. Uh, as I said before, it's not separated out in the Tibetan as it is here. Uh, it just says one and then explains it, two then explains it. There's not this separate six 
Um, so we won't, I'm not, that's why I, we didn't read all of them because it's not how it reads. Excuse me in the Tibetan. So first category, fixed number of perfections based on high status. We have it as A. Um, to fully complete the greatly effective bodhisattva deeds, you need an immeasurably long succession of lifetimes. Moreover, to attain quick success on the path within these lifetimes, you need a life excellent in every aspect. Um, let me just... Excellent in every aspect. Our life, our life is not excellent in every aspect, but rather has only some of the aspects of full as excellence. We do not make progress with it, though we practice the teachings. Um, that's, that's good. Okay, so I believe that's where it read to. That's all. I was just checking to make sure we read to the same place I read to. Um, so this is not something that um, happens in one or two lifetimes. Uh, the bodhisattva deeds take many, many lifetimes, is the point that uh, it's making here. Uh, it's saying uh, you need an immeasurably long succession of lifetimes. Um, uh, so it's not to think that the bodhisattva deeds occur very quickly um, and that you could complete them in, in one or two lives normally. Quand la cheville longe dans, quand la cheville le dans, quand dans l'indido, un endroit court dans l'éditat, quand en bas d'un endroit, pensons sur le jeu de l'os, d'un 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 jeu de l'os, Quand Nyomobitendroa Jojin Labanjuishiros, 
We do not make progress with it, though we practice the teachings. You need a life that has four kinds of excellence. Uh, so here it will show um, what is needed, what the, the four kinds of excellence are. And not only do you need them, but you need proper utilization. Um, so it goes on to speak of that. Uh, so it says, uh, you need a life that has four kinds of excellence. Resources to use, the result of the perfection of generosity. Uh, a body with which you act, the result of the perfection of ethical discipline. Companions together with whom you act, the result of the perfection of uh, patience. And work that you are able to accomplish uh, once undertaken, the result of the perfection of joyous perseverance. Since in many cases these four kinds of excellence alone may themselves become conditions for afflictions, you must not fall under the control of the afflictions uh, as the result of the perfection of meditative stabilization. Uh, as just the four kinds of excellence are not sufficient, you must also distinguish well in regard to what to adopt and what to cast aside, precisely what things to do and to stop doing, uh, the result of the perfection of wisdom. Otherwise, just as a bamboo or plantain tree dies after giving fruit, or a mule dies when pregnancy, with pregnancy you will be destroyed by the four excellences. So if you have these four, you have companions, and you have enjoyments, and you have all of these things, but you don't know what to adopt and what to cast aside, 
then these four can actually be a hindrance to you. These four can actually make your afflictions increase as opposed to decreasing them. So it's not only saying, that's why it's saying you only have some of them, because it's inferring within them that not only uh, do you have these enjoyments and, and body and so forth, but you're utilizing them for purity, for <coughs> you're utilizing them for things that you are adopting, and you're utilizing it to cast aside. Um, so um, if, if that's the case, then you are doing what you are supposed to be doing, and you'll have the results that one would have of these excellences. But, if you merely enjoy them and don't utilize them, then it will be like a bamboo tree or a, a banana tree or the, the story of the mule. So a banana tree, it gives the bananas, then it, it dies. It just gives it one fruit and it doesn't continue to give fruit. Um, so it's like this life. It would have all these things and it wouldn't make anything more out of it. It would be just utilizing this one life, using it up, and then not having any kind of lasting goodness from it, um, not have any concordant uh, uh, behavior to the behavior that got you those enjoyments, that body, uh, friends, etc. So, um, and, and ability to get things done. Um, so those things undertaken are spiritual things in the case of the proper practice. Um, getting those things done that you undertake are spiritual things, those spiritual companions, that, that spiritual, um, using the body for <laughs> meditation and spiritual. So uh, that, those are the points here that are coupled with those four excellences um, that's simultaneous in the proper practitioner. Okay. Um, so, okay, Rinpoche did mention one thing. So, uh, for in, when it says what to um, cast aside, uh, so we have the ten non-virtuous activities that the Buddha has outlined. That's an example of something to cast aside, and the ten virtues, something to practice. Uh, so, uh, where it says <coughs> what to adopt and what to cast aside, you would adopt the ten virtues and cast aside the ten non-virtues. So, um, that's an example Rinpoche gave of um, um, proper practice, um, proper pr uh, motivation and practice that would result further than this one lifetime's results. Decent. <laughs> Shindu and 
Mega Somba then a Nipa good so good. Nipa de answer, Nipa, I'm just going to leave the numbers out for now because they're not corresponding with what the English say and I just will see if we catch up. Um, but I just don't want to confuse things more by adding different numbers than we have in our English book. So I'm just going to read the content, give the meaning of the content. It's just a couple numbers. It's not going to really mean anything ultimately and we can correct it later on. Um, so the wise understands how these six, the four excellences, control of the afflictions and knowledge of what to adopt and what to cast aside are the results of earlier virtuous actions. And they strive again at steadily increasing their causes. The unwise use the results of their earlier accumulations of virtue and exhaust them as they do not increase them anew. They reach the brink of their future suffering. When you again produce uh, these six in future lives, their production will not be causeless. Uh, so these six perfections, uh, when you have a practice of, of, of them in future lives, um, it will not be uncaused. It will be caused from a previous practice of those perfections. So a previous connection of some sort to those <coughs> perfections. Uh, and it says that you will obviously have to, because results are concordant with the causes, have some sort of concordant cause for a result to occur. So in order for a result which is six perfections to occur, there has to be a concordant cause. That concordant cause has to be of the same lineage or uh, type of the same type as those six perfections. If they're manifesting, there has to be a cause that's of the same type for that manifestation. So that's what causal concordance is referring to, saying there, there can't be something unlike that causes like. Uh, it has to be concordant. Um, so uh, fixed, it says, concordant causes that are the perfections. Fixed as six in number, 
Therefore, in this lifetime, you must repeatedly habituate yourself to constant reliance on the six perfections because the superiority of the effects is commensurate to the superiority uh, of the causes. A life with the four excellences constitutes temporary <laughs> high status, whereas ultimate high status, which consists of ultimate excellence of body, etc., exists at the Buddha level. So it's saying that we're only talking about high status in samsara, in cyclic existence. We're not talking about the ultimate high status that we're trying to achieve. Um, so it's saying that um, um, <coughs> when you... You're not ultimately striving for this temporary state. Um, it's a temporary state which is, um, if used properly, um, will create ultimately a, a, um, an ultimate high status, which is a freedom ultimately from um, all of the, the negativities. Okay, uh, 358. Long shoot down, so when we speak of this temporary, that's, uh, that's within cyclic existence, uh, this temporary high status of gods and humans in the higher realms, um, this is temporary high status. Ultimate high status is referring to Buddhahood. So it is only the Buddha uh, who abides in this level which is ultimate high status. So it's um, only the Buddha that is spoken of when we say ultimate high status. Other high statuses can speak of higher realm beings. Ultimate high status always refers to that a being on the Buddha ground. Uh, so meaning that has achieved the first moment at least of Buddhahood. Then a NGK, Tambotsar. Then a Nipa, 
Deta Dende Dapu Shansengi Denipa Lubana Shansengi Shawa Shansengi Shawa Ne Nisu said Rangi Dentan Jenji Dunshiba was. Yeah, the two wrong down Okay, so we're fine. Uh, okay, so um, now we have a quote from the Mahayana Sutra Alamkara, um, which says, um, High status possessed of excellent resources and body, excellent companions and undertakings, not going under the power of afflictions, and never being mistaken in activities. Um, so uh, here... Um, we find this quote uh, um, from the Abhisamalamkara. There wasn't really much commentary given, and it just shows um, uh, these four, uh, basically, um, that are mentioned here of resources, um, body, companions, and work. Um, so, undertaking. So, we find the four. High status of resources and body, those are the first two kinds of excellence. Uh, and then excellent companions and undertakings are the next two kinds of excellence. Uh, and then not how do you properly utilize these? Not going under the power of afflictions and never being mistaken in activities. What to adopt, what to cast aside. So we find that all in the Mahayana Sutra Alamkara quote. Okay, and then we have the second category of the six. Uh, so we're under, uh, w w all precepts are included in the six perfections. We have two categories, a discussion of the main topic, the fixed number of perfections, and then the ancillary discussion of the order. This is under the main topic, the fixed number. Fixed number, there are six categories. First category is the fixed number of perfections based on high status. That's been complete. The second category is the fixed number of perfections based on fulfilling the two aims. What are the two aims? The aims of self and the aims of others. So fulfilling all of your own aims and fulfilling everyone else's aims. Uh, so these are the two aims. Um, okay. Sinjela 
When someone in such a life of high status learns the Bodhisattva deeds, these activities are comprehensively categorized as two, those which fulfill your own aim and those which fulfill the aims of others. Therefore, there is a fixed number of perfections based on fulfilling the two aims. To fulfill the aims of others, you must first help them with material goods. Since no benefit will come from generosity accompanied by harmfulness towards living beings, you need ethical discipline which has a great purpose for others in that it is the state of desisting from harm to others and the causes of such harm. Uh, to bring this to its full development, you need patience that disregards the harm done to you. For if you are impatient with harm and retaliate a time or two, you will not attain pure ethical discipline. Um, so we see ethical discipline so far. Rimache pointed it out as we went uh, through them. We see generosity and now patience pointed out. Uh, so then, uh, when you do not retaliate because of your patience, you prevent others from accumulating a great amount of sin and bring them to a place of virtue by inspiring them with your patience. So this has a, this, so this practice has great purpose for others. Um, you attain your own aim. The base, the bliss of liberation through the power of wisdom. Uh, since uh, uh, since you will not attain this with a distracted mind, you must set your mind in meditative equipoise by means of meditative stabilization, obtaining a mental serviceability wherein you intentionally set your attention on any object of meditation. Since a lazy person does not produce this, 
you need joyous perseverance day and night that never slackens. So this is the basis of the other perfection. So you see there effort, concentration, and wisdom presented. First three were presented of ethics, generosity, and patience, and then effort, concentration, and wisdom are presented here. So we see in, for, in for regards to fulfillment of aims of others, we have uh, the generosity, ethics, and patience, and in fulfillment of the aims of your own, we see them presented in terms of uh, effort, meditative stabilization, and, and wisdom. Uh, so, um, let me see. The Kanga, Kanga Lapsung. So what is everyone think? Uh, what are the how many permutations are there between um, one's needs and others' needs? Are there three permutations, four permutations? Are they mutually exclusive, or are they synonymous? If it is fulfill, if it is your one's own needs. Is it necessarily others' needs? If it is others' needs, is it necessarily one's own needs? Rimache is just putting the question out there. Nene? Then Musum Mushi Gawa Dunchi. What the who is Lama Tsongkhapa's root disciple, um, states in his uh, text, uh, lib something liberation, path of liberation, something like this. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact name of it, but in Jelsip's text, uh, he states that bringing others to the state of enlightenment is uh, fulfillment of others' needs. So um, is that fulfilling your own needs? So Rimichi is posing the question. He's not answering the question. He's saying, so when you fulfill others' needs, are you fulfilling your own needs? And based on Jelsip J, if you're bringing others to enlightenment, are you fulfilling your own needs? If you're fulfilling your own needs, are you bringing others to enlightenment? Are you fulfilling their needs if you're fulfilling your needs? So it's just a question uh, with a lot to think about, and it's debated quite a bit in the debate courtyard, uh, this question about one's needs, others' needs, and how they relate to one another. Okay. So when you look at omniscience, <coughs> this would be one's own, because you would be omniscient. Then eh? 
So is this others' needs? If your omniscience, your omniscience, is that others' needs? So the the Buddhas and the the teachers know how to fulfill others' needs by teaching, because um, that's how someone becomes enlightened. You can't make them enlightened, or there's no magic. They have to do it themselves, and the teachers can show them. So our, so then, do you come up with are one's needs and others' needs synonymous? Are they of the same one meaning? Are your needs and others' needs one meaning? The word you can translate dun cheek. Dun is meaning, cheek is one. So all the translators have said we say synonymous, but it's really one meaning. And what one meaning means is if you have A, you have B, and if you have B, you have A. That's all one meaning means. If A's there, B's there. If B's there, is A's there. If your, your needs are there, fulfillment in parentheses, others' needs are there. If the others' needs are there, your needs are there. That's what it would mean if it's one meaning. So is Rinpoche saying, is it one meaning? If, if your needs are there, others' needs there are there, and if others' needs are there, your needs are there. Is that true? So he's just showing how you could come to the conclusion that it could be all of them, and it can't be. It's got to be truth is truth. There's only one. There's not multiple. It's not... Uh, anyway. Alternative truths or facts. There's one. <laughs> There's truth. <laughs> So you a, a doubt could arise. So in dependence upon the wisdom realizing emptiness. So when you have this um, meditative equipose or meditative stabilization of the wisdom realizing emptiness, um, does that fall categorically into others' needs? If you realize emptiness, does that connectivity, you know what I mean, does that fall categorically under others' aims, attaining others' aims? Are you attaining others' aims when you have the wisdom realizing emptiness, basically? That's what Rinpoche is asking. Um, te Chempa? I think if you're a Mahayanist, yes. I would say yes. Probably what does it do? What do I mean? Two things, 
So this is why doubts arise, and this is why we need to have further, and again, this word doubt could also be translated as a, a need for further analysis. Um, so when you see something, it's like, why is it like that? Um, it, they call that a doubt, uh, but it's also really within that word in the Tibetan is that there's a need to analyze oh, yeah. it further. It doesn't just leave it there. It means like, oh, I've got to look into that. Um, so when Rimache says doubt, that's what he's meaning. He, he's not saying that um, he doubts whether it's true. He's saying that it causes you to need to inquire further. So it's saying, uh, to fulfill the aims of others, you must first help them with material goods. Uh, since no benefit will come from yes. generosity accompanied by harmfulness towards living beings, you need, uh, need ethical discipline. So are you fulfill you're not fulfilling your own aims when you're being generous with material goods? Are you not fulfilling your own aims uh, when you uh, have ethical discipline by um, not harming living beings? Uh, so are you not fulfilling your own aims as well? Uh, and then it says, um, <coughs> you, uh, you need ethical discipline, which has a great purpose for others in that <coughs> a state of desisting from harm to others and the causes of such harm. So uh, desisting from the um, cause of harm uh, uh, to others it does not fulfill your own aims. Uh, to bring this to its full development, you also need patience that discards the harm done to you. For if you are impatient with harm and retaliate a time or two, you will not attain pure discipline. When you do not retaliate because of your patience, you prevent others from accumulating a great amount of sin and bring them to virtue by aspiring them with your patience, inspiring them with your patience. So this practice has great purpose for others. Does it not have great purpose for oneself too? Um, you attain your own aim, the bliss of liberation, through the power of wisdom. So one attains liberation through getting rid of the afflictive obstructions and so forth. Does that attainment fulfill others' aims? So Rimache just left it there and said, that's why there's a need for further analysis and why there's debate um, because of, of that. Um, so, Sash? Okay. okay. So we'll end um, there. And thank you, everyone. We'll do the concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer. Um, Rimache is asked that we clean off the altar. Um, offerings usually you put up and then take them down and use them after they've been there a day or so. Um, sometimes they say at night. Sometimes they say the morning to change it. Depends on what text you read. 
but because you have this uh, uh, understanding that they're not going to eat them, and to let it rot would be completely wrong. Um, so you make the offering, and then the next day you, you use it, um, usually. Um, it's not meant to be a decoration. Um, it's meant to be you offer something from your heart, and you usually offer what you love the most. So if your favorite cookie, you offer that cookie. Your favorite drink, you offer that drink. Um, whatever your favorite is, and then you've basically shared that, whatever your favorite thing is with whoever gets it. If it's on your own altar, then you get your favorite thing, and it's been blessed. And uh, that's kind of the ritual of offering. And it's really that first moment intention of making the offering. Once it hits the altar, the offering's really over. Um, it is there and can be beautiful for the day if you're looking at it from an offering for the day of beauty. But after that, it, it's not meant to be decoration. So that's the reason it's removed. When we see them removing stuff from the altar and putting it in bags, that's the reasoning is so that you can put a new motivation on the altar, a new offering. That's all. Um, okay. Concluding mandal offering and dedication prayer is in the last couple pages of the prayer book. For anyone who's new, I don't think that anyone falls into that category. I could be wrong. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All-powerful Avalokiteshvara Tenzin Gyatso, may you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Tuji Ramchi Gutsi Shapi Denala. Matsu Lamrim Chemo Kangachirana. Okay. So a student asked the question of how do you practice emptiness? Uh, so uh, when you begin to uh, look at your own body and try and establish where the I is, you will have difficulty in finding it. So you begin to say, is the head I? Is the ear I? Is the nose I? Is my arm I? Is my hand I? Uh, is my chest I? Are my legs I? Um, and you begin to negate one by one as you go through them. So my head's not me, my arms aren't me, my legs aren't me, and my feet aren't me. So you end up at this place where you say, well, then there's no me. But that's not correct. It certainly is a me because I'm here speaking. I'm here moving. I'm able to walk and talk and interact. And others 
say they are interacting with me. So there's certainly an existent me that's here. So if I can't find the me in any of these in individual parts, where does it exist? And as Buddhists, we say that the I is merely a nominal designation that's put on top of or put to a basis of designation that serves as an appropriate basis for this name. Uh, so it's a suitable basis of designation. So we would say that the head, the hands, the eye, the legs, the feet, all of these parts come together as a collection and then serve as a suitable basis of designation for the name I, or in my case, Jeff. So these parts all come together and then are suitably to be named Jeff. But there is no Jeff, there is no I that exists exclusively from that collection that serves as the basis of designation. So that collection comes together and then is named Jeff. There's no Jeff that's separate from that. You can't find a Jeff that exists separate from the name on the collection. Um, and so as soon as you decide that there is no Jeff, so you negate there's an I because you say there's no head, there's no hand, the, the hand's not I, the head's not I, the legs aren't I, the body's not I, so there's no I. If you establish non-existence, then you fall into nihilism. If you say, well, all of these things are here and I'm talking, so I must truly be established, I must truly exist, then you fall into substantialism. One has to understand that one merely comes into existence through a nominal designation on top of a collection that serves as a suitable basis of designation. There is no I that's separate from that process. So when one practices emptiness, one thinks about these things. One thinks about uh, the collection and the coming together. One thinks about the fact that I am empty. I am not truly established because of dependent origination. There is this interdependence with all these parts coming together that are necessary in order for the designation I to take place. Uh, so this is how one practices. One, when we look at the Tibetan word for gom, it means familiarization. So one familiarizes oneself again and again with the true nature of reality instead of the mistaken view that we constantly constantly grasp onto, which is that we are truly established and exist as some separate singular entity when we merely exist through dependent origination and nominal designation. Deeksum.